Ezra chapter 9, we are getting close to finishing up the book of Ezra. I'm considering going right into Nehemiah from there just because one of the things I'm trying to do in my own mind too is just um, you know understand kind of the timeline between the two and how these events relate to each other. But we are in Ezra chapter 9 and so just a little bit of review before we go into this chapter because uh, I like this chapter. I think it's interesting. There's also a similar chapter that we're going to see uh, that we'll, uh, we'll read in Nehemiah. We're not going to look at it today, but a, a very similar event happens because, again, we understand Israel's been in captivity for 70 years. So over 70 years has passed. They've not been practicing the law of God. They've not been doing the things that they are supposed to do as Jews. The Levites have not been in business. They probably and so um, they didn't know what was going on. But understand, not everyone got taken captive. Whenever they took uh, the people of Judah captive, it was kind of the best and the brightest of them that they took because they wanted people that they could use uh, for their benefit. And so they took men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, guys that were, they were very wise and very well educated. And so a lot, they kind of took the cream of the crop over to Babylon. So you had people that were over there that also were very zealous about the law. And even though they were in captivity, these people showed great faith in that they still maintained their love for God. They uh, kept their faith in the Word of God. And they knew what the Bible taught. They knew what they were supposed to do. But unfortunately, while you had these people in, in captive, you had the people back in Jerusalem who you would think you know, would still do the best that they could to try to keep the things of the law and to keep certain things going. But that was not the case. In fact, while uh, you know, once the leadership was gone, the people that were over there, they just kind of did whatever they felt like doing. And so when guys like Ezra comes back, in his mind, I think he's thinking, you know, this is what I would be doing if I was over there, surely the people are still doing this and they're staying away from, you know, they're keeping these laws. But that was not the case. Israel, uh, like Jesus said, they were sheep without a shepherd. And they always would get themselves in trouble. So, uh, so he, anyway, so he's on his way back. Uh, they're getting with the Levites and they're going to prepare them to get back to work. And so look what it says in verse 1. It says, now when these things were done, the prince came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. So, no, notice what's interesting about this too, because most the, the names of these people, these were the people they were supposed to drive out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. This is again a result of their disobedience to God. God said, you drive these people out of the land because if you don't, you're going to end up worshiping after their gods. You're going to learn their ways. You're going to give your sons and your daughters to them. And God did not want them intermingling with the heathen, and that's what they had done. And so these uh, these scribes and these people, men with Ezra, when they came back and they looked, they're like, 
they were shocked. They were horrified at what was going on. These things were clearly contrary to the Word of God. And the people, and, and it's sad, the people who got taken captive were more right with God. You had men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't even going to defile themselves with the king's meat. They were under a lot of pressure. But then you have the people who aren't in as much pressure. And what are they doing? Whatever the heathen were doing. What a, what a sad situation this was. And so, um, and again, I think part of that too is because the Babylonians chose the best of the people to take. And so that was probably a lot of the leaders and stuff. And so verse 3 says, When I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonished. So imagine that image there. He's so upset. He's literally pulling his hair out and his beard. That, that would hurt so bad. But man, he's, he's angry. He's upset. I mean, this is grieving him greatly because men like Ezra understood the importance of the Levites. He understood the importance of the work that they did on behalf of the people of Israel. And so when he sees this great sin that's taken place, when he sees how backslidden these people are, he's terrified for his people. And, and you know, it, just kind of a side note, you know, this, this mentality that we have today, we often struggle when we look at these things because we have this mentality that no matter what, Israel's going to be okay. You know, and, and people still act like that's the case today with fake Israel. No matter what, Israel's going to be okay because of the promises to Abraham. Not, you know, and understand, they did not have dispensationalism back then. They knew that Israel was not guaranteed to be okay. And so when they're seeing things like this, they're like, this is going to be bad. A lot of these people, they had the foresight to recognize the prophecies that were in Deuteronomy that came directly from God Himself talking about all the terrible things he would do to Israel if they didn't follow him and how they would be cut off. And they, under, they understood the prophecies of Jeremiah. They understood the prophecies of Isaiah. And they, they realized that, hey, it's not a guarantee that things are going to get end good for this nation. And you know what? Things didn't end good for that nation because of stuff like this. They just did not follow the Lord like they were supposed to. And so we should tremble at the, you know, we ought to, you know, we ought to fear God. We ought to tremble at the word of the, of the Lord. And so, when, while a lot of great things were have been happening in Ezra, while we're seeing God miraculously move the heart of the king into supporting his, uh, Judah and going back to the land, rebuilding the temple, giving them protection, while this was a great thing, just understand Ezra showing up with the word of God was about to reveal the heart of these people. Because the problem that Israel had, it was never the political situation. They always had a sin problem. That was always their problem. The political situation could not have gotten any better for them. They had a heart problem. And that's why churches too, you know, we shouldn't make the excuse of, oh, you know, politics, our, our government's wicked. God has done great things in wicked governments. It's, the matter is the heart of the people. If our hearts are not right, God's not going to do great things. No matter, I mean, we could get we could get Trump back in office, and we won't have revival if if we do not have our hearts right. You know why? Because we didn't have revival when Trump got in the first time. You know why? Because the hearts of God's people, right? Even though a lot of Baptists thought that was God sending revival to our country, and and uh, boy, were they wrong. But verse four: 
Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. So he gathers those who tremble at the word of God. That should be our attitude. Listen, if you do not get scared sometimes when you read your Bible, your heart's not right. You're backslidden. You're probably not reading the Bible. You, you should tremble at these things. It ought, it ought to frighten you. It ought to scare you. And I know Pastor Skinny Jeans, he doesn't ever want preaching to cause people to feel that way. No, there should be things that cause you to tremble. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's why we don't do some of the things we do because it's not, it's not so much about rules. It's just we fear God. We fear God and we know He warned us against these things for a reason. And so here, remember Ezra, he's very upset by what he's seen. Ezra now, uh, you know, he's so upset, he's ripped out his hair, he's plucked off his beard, and now he's about to do some praying. And I love Ezra's prayer. I've preached sermons on Ezra's prayer before. But verse 5 says, And at the evening sacrifice I rose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees, and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. And so, and that word heaviness too, um, you know, that's, the Bible doesn't have the word depression, but that's very similar. I mean, he is upset. He is depressed. He's rent his garment. He's wore out from just being upset, crying, you know, tearing out his hair, all that kind of stuff. And so now, he's in a, he's in a good position when you stop and think about it, to go to God in prayer. And so he does. I don't think he's putting on a show here. I don't think he's doing a photo op. I don't think he's doing anything like that. No, he is going to the Lord. He falls on his knees. He spreads out his hands to the Lord and said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face unto thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass is grown up to the heavens. And, and let me tell you, on one hand, this is something we need to remember as Christians. On one hand, we ought to be ashamed to go to God in prayer. On the other hand, we ought to boldly approach the throne of grace. You say, how do you balance out both of those things? We ought to be ashamed of our personal condition and our unworthiness to be able to pray to God. However, Understanding what Jesus has done for us ought to cause us to have boldness to just go ahead and go to God anyway. So don't, you know, so the way we balance that out is go to God anytime you have a need and, and have boldness in doing that, understanding Christ has made us worthy to go in his presence because of what he has done. Uh, but at the same time, Never go to him with an attitude of like, you're obligated to answer my prayers and listen to what I got to say. You know, that, so there's a way we can have bo- both attitudes there. In the condition of Tommy McMurtry and his works, I should be ashamed to go to God in prayer. However, I can do it. I can even do it with boldness because when I stand before God, the blood of Christ intercedes for me and it makes up for all of my shortcomings and my transgressions. And so don't so again keep both mentalities going. We should always uh, have a humble attitude and so he is he's ashamed and it says since the days of our fathers have we been in great trespass unto this day and for our iniquities 
Have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face, as it is this day? So Ezra here, when he's doing this prayer, and I think this is a good thing too, he is praying on behalf of his nation. And we ought to feel the same way when we pray on behalf of our nation. There's nothing wrong with praying on behalf of our nation. And you know what? Like On one hand, I am ashamed to pray for this nation because it doesn't deserve blessings from God. But it is okay for us to want God's blessing. It is okay for us to desire mercy. I get it. Our country deserves to get nuked into oblivion. We deserve that. But do we want it? Of course not. Just like we deserve to go to hell. But do we want to go to hell? Well, of course not. And so we're very thankful that because of the blood of Christ, we don't have to get what we deserve. We can have blessing anyway. And God can, God can be merciful to our nation. God can spare that judgment. He can hold off. He can forgive. And so it's okay for us to pray. And we ought to pray on behalf of our nation. We ought to pray on behalf of our communities. We ought to pray on behalf of our family. We ought to pray on behalf of our friends. We ought to pray on behalf of our church. It's okay to do that. And to, to say, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm praying. I, I'm, I'm interceding for our church. I'm interceding for my, my company that I work for. Intercessory prayer. That's a, that's, I haven't preached on that in a while, but that's a, another thing I probably ought to preach on on a regular basis. Interceding for people. That's what Ezra's doing right here. This kind of thing makes a difference. Intercessory prayer is what stopped God from destroying Israel many times because of guys like Moses. And I've heard many preachers say this before, uh, and I agree that if God and Moses ever would have gotten mad at Israel at the same time, they probably would have ceased to exist a long time ago. But typically, you know, sometimes you have Moses mad at Israel and then God's like calming them down. Other times you have God mad at Israel, Moses calming them down. And it, it's, it's good for us to do that. I, I think God ought to be hearing his people, people from Liberty Baptist Church, calling out to him, interceding on behalf of Illinois. You know, maybe if enough of us did that, if we went to God and admitted the shameful state of our state, maybe God would get rid of Flint, Fred Flintstone and get us a real governor in there that actually, you know, loves law and the Constitution and the state and, you know, somebody who's decent we don't need to be ashamed of. We can get a governor that doesn't have trannies for brothers that... Uh, you know, and that promotes all the perversion and things. Maybe if enough people interceded to God on behalf of our state, we would we would get something good. But unfortunately, Christians don't do enough of this. But verse eight says, "And now, for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and give us a nail in His holy place." that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. And so Ezra recognized the significance of what God was doing in that time, and he was amazed that God was doing it. This is a miracle. This is a fulfillment of prophecy, them coming back to the land. But it didn't mean everything was going to be smooth sailing. It didn't mean they didn't have work to do. They did have work to do. Okay? And now think about this too, because if the dispensationalists are right about Israel, why don't they act like pray, like Ezra in their prayers for Israel? Have you ever thought about that? Let's just assume for a minute that the dispensationalists are right about Israel. Why don't they call out their sins? Why do they support 
everything that they do. And they always say, I don't support everything they do. Uh, but they do whatever Fox News is supporting, even if that's wiping out cities, you know, even if that's killing a lot of innocent people, even, I mean, just they, anything Netanyahu pushes, for sure, Baptists are going to push because Fox News is, is going to push it. Why don't they call it out? Why can't they call out the wickedness of leaders like him? Why is it they act like everything they do is good and anything that we say against them is anti-Semitic? Why, why, is, why, why, why don't they do like they did in the Bible? They make it sound like God owes them instead of being astonished that God hasn't destroyed them. And again, the reason that they don't, they don't act like Ezra, the reason they don't act like Nehemiah, the reason they don't act like Daniel, the reason they don't act like Elijah, and the reason they don't act like Jesus or Paul or anybody in the Bible is because they don't get their thinking about Israel from the Bible. They get it from theologians and you know, politicians is where they get their thinking from. But understand, the, you know, Ezra, he wasn't hating on his country when he's calling out the wickedness that's going on. Go read Daniel chapter 9, the first part. Everybody reads the last part about Daniel's 70th week, but they don't read the verses 1 through 23 where it's Daniel pretty much just confessing the sins of his people and talking about how wicked they are and how we are in this mess for a reason. He's not saying, you know, God, you promised us the land. Why aren't we back in there? You know, that, yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not what he's doing. And yet, at the same time, too, you know, Christians act like, you know, we're claiming God broke his promise to Israel if we act like they're not even really back now, even though they were gone for 19, you know, over 1900 years. So it's just the double talk is off the charts and it's just foreign to what we see in the Bible. So in verse nine, Ezra goes on to say, for we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou, for, uh, which thou hast commanded thy servants, the prophets, saying, The land under which ye go to possess it is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations, which ye have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness." Now, I want you to notice, too, a couple times he's mentioned, you have given us a reviving. God had given them a reviving. Now, I don't know if anybody can look this up for me. I, 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 I didn't put this in my notes, but there's a verse in the Bible that says, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? If anybody can look that up on their phone. I, I, want, I want to show you something in that passage. I can't think of the chapter off the top of my head. It's in Psalms. I know that much. But... Notice, Ezra acknowledges the fact that God has revived Israel. You know why? Because God has brought them back to the land. God has given them authority to do the things, the works that they were supposed to do. Ezra gets that. He, he completely understands that. But at the same time, what chapter is that? 85. 85. I was in, I was in 89. So in Ezra, or, uh, Psalms chapter 85, I want to, in verse 6, notice what it says, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? You want to know how many Baptist churches use that verse as like a prayer to God for revival? Not realizing 
that God has already given revival? And did you know that's the same thing that they did here in Psalms? Look at what it says in verse 1. Lord, Thou hast been favorable unto Thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. This shows us the time when this psalm was written. This was written after God brought back their captivity. After God returned them to the land. It says, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of Thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Thou hast taken away all Thy wrath. Thou hast turned Thyself from the fierceness of Thy anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause Thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt Thou be angry with us forever? Wilt Thou draw out Thine anger to all generations? Wilt Thou not revive us again, that Thy people may rejoice in Thee? Show us Thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us Thy salvation. And basically what we're seeing right here, I believe that this psalm was clearly written after they returned from the land. And what many people believe, and I agree just based on some of the things we see in there, this was probably written during the time when the work had ceased on the house of the Lord. And they're just, and they're just like, where's our revival? But the truth is, they had stopped doing the work. And that's why God sent Haggai and Zechariah to come along and say, it's time to get back to work. God had revived them. They just weren't doing anything. And in churches today, all across America, they're praying for revival. It's like, uh, have you ever read Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost? You do have the Holy Spirit, right? You're saved, right? You've been revived. Your sins have been forgiven. Your iniquities have been cleansed. If you're not having revival, it's because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And so they have revival meetings to revive the church with zero soul winning. Even though in the, in the Bible, what are they doing when they have revival? They're preaching the gospel to people. And, but what do they do in revival meetings today? They preach the gospel to just their people and then their people get resaved again. Isn't, that, isn't it funny how we haven't really changed? And so understand what happened in Ezra, the book of Ezra, them returning to the land, them rebuilding the temple. That was revival. But a lot of people think revival is everybody running around doing glory laps, hands in the air, you know, singing, shouting, swaying, having a good time, good feelings. No, Ezra, he had his hands in the air, but it wasn't, it was in trying to get attention to God after he's ripped out his hair and plucked off the hair of his, you know, plucked off his beard. He's upset. And so, but he recognizes the reviving that God has given. And so Ezra, in his prayer, in verse 11, he's remembering the commandment, too, that God had given Israel about intermarriage specifically. Because he mentions, um, you know, which thou hast commanded by thy servants the prophets, saying, the land unto which ye go to possess it, it is an unclean land, with the filthiness of the people of the land, with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. And this is why he's upset, because they have violated this and they have joined up with the people in that land. He says, Now therefore, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace, nor their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. He's remembering what God told them. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that Thou, our God, has punished us less than our iniquities deserve and has given us such deliverance as this, should we again break Thy commandments 
and join affinity with the people of these abominations, wouldest not thou be angry with us till thou hast consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor escaping? And think about what he said right there. Ezra is saying this, this is how it will be or how, how it should be. Hey, if we do this again, if we join up with the people again, you, sh- you should probably consume us. You probably shouldn't forgive us again, Lord, if we do this again. But, you know, we just, our attitude is we just keep going over and over and over and over again to God. We ought to have the attitude, all right, Lord, I'm coming and I should be consumed right now, but you haven't consumed me yet, so I'm asking for forgiveness. But it ought to be in our minds, if we do this again, we're dead meat. But, uh, you know, we are, we acted like we're entitled to forgiveness just because God is so forgiving. And I think that's a shame. And I think, again, I would have, I would have more respect for the dispensationalists if they would actually get up and talk about how I can't believe Israel does exist. They are so stinking wicked. Look at all that they're doing. They should be consumed. You know, that, that's what should happen. And the reality is, you want to know why they do exist? Because, in Malachi, after they have done these things again, what does it say? For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. We all know that for I am the Lord, I change not. But the context of that is in the fact that I'm being merciful and I'm not consuming you. And the very fact that they are still in existence today is because God hasn't changed and He hasn't, he hasn't consumed them. And so well, that means there's something in the future, right? No, it means now is the day of salvation, like Paul said. It means they better get saved right now because Jesus is coming back one of these days and it'll be too late then. This is the day of salvation. When the day of the Lord comes, then, then it's over. And so, <clears throat> verse 15, O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. And now, this is where we're going to get into controversial territory next week. Because in the next chapter, this is where we're going to see uh, basically mass divorces taking place. And the question often comes up, was this the right thing for Israel to do when they, uh, when they do the mass divorces? And so just some things I want you to think about. I'm not going to say a whole lot about this. We're going to save it for next week. But, well, uh, go ahead and uh, turn over to Ezra chapter 10. I do want to show you something on here. Ezra chapter 10. It says, Now when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel every great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. So again, this prayer Ezra was doing, this isn't a private thing, it's a very public thing. And other people are getting involved, and they're weeping and crying too, as they should. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Okay? So... A couple things to think about here. So first off, this is the way people explain away the mass divorces here a lot of times, is Ezra is a historical book that's just telling us what happened and it doesn't tell us specifically if God approved or not. Okay? And there are, there's a lot of examples, especially in the historical books, 
where we just see Israel doing stuff and it doesn't tell us if God approved of it or not. You know, and it's and people because they read these stories and Israel's always the hero and the good guy, we always think it was right. Like when Jephthah sacrifices his daughter. You know, and then you have some people say, Well, he didn't sacrifice his daughter, you know, because he was a good guy. But it's like, I don't I, I think he did sacrifice his daughter. It was a very wicked, backwards time that Jephthah was living in. You know, and I, I, don't, I don't believe it was right. I don't believe God approved of that. Um, and there's a lot of stories like that. I mean, there's, there's some pretty brutal slayings in the Bible. I mean, all over the place. And so, um, I don't think we could, uh, you know, just, I don't think we should just assume that it was right what they did. But also, in chapter, or, you know, in verse 3 that we read, they were going to attempt to do this thing according to the law. He said, let's put them away according to the law. Now, here's the big question that we could always debate about. Was it according to the law? Or was it not according to the law? Because remember too, God did give them a bill of divorcement. Okay, God did... And, and there's a difference between something that is legal and something that is right. We all understand that? Because Jesus is the one that said, you know, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, gave you a bill of divorcement. But from the beginning, it was not so. Divorce was something that God never liked. God never approved of. But often, you know, you know there's a difference between something that pleases God and something that God just grants permission for. And I've heard that I've heard it put that way before is sometimes you know, like even as a parent, you'll let your kid do something that you don't really want them to do sometimes just so they can learn the hard way. And, but it doesn't really mean it was your will for them as a parent to do that. So, but yeah, because sometimes God does allow us to make the bed we're going to sleep in and deal with the consequences. And sometimes too, we get ourselves in such a mess. We have no good options. Do you understand that too? And God lets us deal with those problems as a result. And so, again, it was very wrong for them to intermarry like they did. They should not have done that. But they did it. They now have children. In Nehemiah too, we see they speak half the language of the, of the Jews and half the language, I think, of the people of Ashdod or of the other nations. And Nehemiah flipped out when he saw this. You know, this, this upset him greatly. But... Uh, so again, the big question is, did these mass divorces cause Israel to fulfill God's law and help make themselves ready for the Messiah? You know, I don't know. So you, you can argue about that. But what I think they should have done here personally, this, this is what I believe. Okay, because there was so much wrong done here. But this is what I personally believe they should have done. I think they should have just confess their sin and ask for mercy going forward. I think they should have acknowledged, Lord, we shouldn't have married these people. But also, Lord, we shouldn't divorce them either, but we will serve you. We will go forward. And we, you know what? You know what they could have done? Here's how they could have gotten rid of those wives that they took. Remember one of the laws that they had that if, uh, you know, if, you're, if anybody in your family, even your wife, tells you, let's go serve other gods, they were to put them to death. And there you go. You know, that, that's all they had to do is just follow that law. And the thing is, 
Well, what if they don't ask Him to serve other gods? Well, then they're going to be fine. The problem with those people is they were always getting them to serve other gods. So, if they just get real strict and say, no, listen, let's not, no, let's not, we're not going to do any divorces. But, listen, all of you foreigners that have got in here, we got a law right here from God that says to put you to death if you ever try to get anyone to serve your gods. So, if we find out you still have any of those gods, you have any of those idols, we find out you're talking to anybody, you die. And you know what? They probably some people probably would have died. But then you know what? They wouldn't have committed the sin of divorce. And and then if they never did serve push those other gods, then we don't have any problems as a result of that. So again, where we get ourselves in trouble, because people are always trying to find fault in the laws of God, and they're always trying to find inconsistencies in the law of God. There is there are no faults in the law of God. There is only inconsistency on our parts to follow the law of God. The law is not made for us to just pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. The law is made to be followed in its entirety. And when it's followed in its entirety, we don't have these problems. We don't find ourselves in these situations where it's like we have, you know, multiple, you know, the, you know just all bad options to choose from. And so uh, there is nothing wrong with the law of God. And often people, though, they'll just they'll go to passages like this to just try to justify sin that they're wanting to do. And it's like, no, that, does, that doesn't work. You can't do that. But either way, uh, Ezra, he did. He, he kind of had a meltdown when he saw just how bad the Levites were, you know, physically, spiritually, all that. And, uh, and what a shame that was. Israel had completely forgotten God. And so, anyway, next week we will finish up the book of Ezra. So that, let's pray to your Lord. I pray this message was a help and gave us a better understanding of this book and just the importance of your law and, and following it. And I pray to your God that you'll uh, just help us to take these things serious. I pray, Lord, when we do mess up, though, uh, we will uh, go to you for mercy, Lord, and with boldness, not because uh, we deserve it, but because of what Jesus did for us. I pray a blessed service coming up in the next hour. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.